Chapter Five of the Escaping Club by A. J. Evans. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Five, The Frontier. When we got to Crayfield, I saw that the station was on the east side of the town, but after my experience at Dusseldorf, I thought it would be much safer to walk boldly right through the middle of the town than to skirt round the edges. My brother was at this time interned at Crayfield, and I thought how amusing it would be if I were to meet him in the town, and wondered if he would keep a straight face when I winked at him. The walk through the town was without incident. One fellow in Landstorm uniform, a prison guard I should think, turned round and looked at me in a nasty way, perhaps recognizing my likeness to my brother, but I walked quickly on, and nothing came of it. It must have been just after 2 p.m. when I got through into the open country on the southwest side of Crayfield, and a more horrible country I have never seen. It was absolutely flat, no trees and no signs of cover of any sort. There were one or two disused factories, which I inspected, but did not like the look of them as hiding places. I passed several parties of French soldiers working in the fields, but did not dare to speak to them. The day was very hot, and my bag was very heavy, and I could not help feeling that I was rather a suspicious figure wandering about through the fields with a heavy traveling bag within twenty miles of the frontier. It was a most unpleasant walk, and at times I thought of just throwing myself down in the middle of a field of roots, but the country was so flat that I could never be quite sure that someone would not see me crawling into them. It was not till three-thirty that I found a small alder copse with thick undergrowth which I thought would do. There were a number of people working in the fields quite close to it, but I walked by them and round the copse, and putting the copse between them and me, I doubled back into it. It was quite a small copse, about fifty by twenty yards, with thick rank grass in between the clumps. The people outside were only about fifty yards from me, and I could hear them talking and laughing. Still I was very comfortable and there were no tracks, and when I had made up some yarn to tell them if I was discovered, I went to sleep. Later on I opened a tin of Oxford sausages and had a good meal. Once a dog came through hunting rabbits, and once a man and a girl came quite close, but neither disturbed me. I began to find things very tedious and looking forward to the night's walk. Soon after 10 p.m. I started out from my hiding-place and walked hard with very few rests till 5.30 next morning, when I found a good place to lie up in. Considering the amount of energy expended, I made very little progress. Many detours were necessary to avoid the villages and houses, and for the most part I walked across country by small paths which were very clearly shown on my excellent map. However, my bag and the going were both heavy, and three-quarters of an hour's halt between one and two a.m. and some hot cocoa were most refreshing. At one place where there was a level crossing a man came to open the barrier, so I took the initiative and said, "'Nach Anroth, gerade aus!' "'Straight on to Anroth?' He said, "'Jawohl!' and opened the gate. After that I always kept the name of the next village, of which I was sure of the pronunciation in my head, so as to be able to ask my way there. 
At about five o'clock I was pretty tired and found myself with the large village of Sukteln in front of me, through which I had to pass as it is on a river. I funked it as the bridge over the river was such an obvious place to have a sentry. After thinking it out I decided it would be less suspicious to go through just after daylight when there were a few people about, so I lay up and went to sleep in a bush in the middle of a water meadow. When I woke up, shivering with the cold, it was about five-thirty and still dark, so I crossed the road and found a splendid warm spot in the middle of a haycock which completely covered me up. Still, I thought, they might cart the hay that day, so at six-fifteen a.m. when it was just getting light I walked boldly through the village. There were one or two people about, but they took no interest in me. At six-thirty I had found an excellent hiding-place on the far side of the town. It was rather hot all day, and I had no water-bottle and suffered from thirst a good deal, but otherwise it was very pleasant being up in the thick bushes on the top of an old gravel-pit. The time seemed very long, and in the afternoon I very foolishly wandered about a bit in the woods. I was seen by one man, but I don't think he was suspicious, and so, making a short detour, I got back to my hiding-place. That is the worst of being alone. It is almost impossible not to do foolish things. I started off again about 9.30 p.m., hoping to cross the frontier that night. I was about ten miles from the frontier, but reckoned that it would be necessary to walk nearly fifteen miles if I wanted to avoid all the villages, as the country was very thickly populated. There is nothing much to say about this night's walk. It was much like the other, though I suffered rather more from thirst. At all the places where there was water there were also houses, and I did not dare to stop. I managed to quench my thirst to a certain extent by chewing roots from the fields. Unfortunately, after crossing the canal, I took a wrong road and went many miles southwest instead of west and found myself in a long straggling village. Fortunately for my nerves there were very few dogs, very different as I found afterwards from Bavaria, and, after walking through about two miles of village, I extricated myself and got into a big wood on the frontier at about 4.30 a.m. It was a very wild spot, and rather like some thickly wooded parts of Scotland. It was also very hilly, with ridges of thick heather or long grass between almost impenetrable fir woods. I had an extremely pleasant sleep in the heather, and at 6.30 a.m. decided that I would move on cautiously. It was an ideal place for stalking, and I thought I would try and locate the frontier in the daytime and, if possible, find out what obstacles I had before me. From my map it appeared that I had about three kilometers of forest between me and the frontier, but, of course, I did not know whether the guards would be placed exactly on the frontier. It seemed to me at the time absolutely essential, and even now I think I was quite right, to try to find out by day exactly where the sentry's line was. For all I knew there might be electrified wires, and on a dark night in the forest one was more likely than not to walk straight into them without ever seeing them at all. The rides would almost certainly be guarded, and the woods were so thick that it was impossible to crawl through them without making an awful noise. I now know that a forest is not only the most obvious place to try and cross the frontier, and for that reason the best guarded, 
but under any conditions and for many reasons the open country is the best place to try. However, I felt pretty confident that I should see the sentries before they saw me, so I went forward cautiously, examining every ride before I went down it. I went slowly through the woods for about three hours, in a west or northwest direction, steering by compass, and then began to think I must be getting pretty near the frontier. I was confirmed in this idea by finding a well-used path down one of the rides, so I crawled into the wood at the side and lay down to think it out and have lunch. While I was sitting there a soldier wheeling a bicycle came down the path. When he had gone I crawled out to the edge of the ride and had a good look around. Almost north of me I could make out the roof of a house through the trees with a flagstaff and flag beside it. Like a fool I never grasped that that was the frontier blockhouse, and then I suddenly saw a figure half a mile away, with something on his shoulder, across the end of the ride, a soldier with a rifle, I thought, but could not be sure. After resting till about ten-thirty I retraced my steps to look for a bit of map which had fallen out of my pocket, but was unable to find it. However, it did not matter, as the map was no longer of much use to me. Once on the move I felt very restless and not a bit tired, and as the cover was so good I determined to try and find out a bit more about the frontier. I found a ride leading in the right direction and followed that along very cautiously, mostly on my hands and knees, crawling through thick heather. I crossed two more rises without seeing anyone and still crawled on. It was really madness to go any farther now but it all seemed so safe and the woods were so thick that the necessity seemed to me greater than the danger. It only shows the great advantage of having a friend with you when you escape. If Kick had been there I am sure we should both of us have got across. Alone it is almost impossible to refrain from taking undue risks. It is partly overconfidence and partly boredom with doing nothing, and partly a sort of reckless and restless feeling which comes over every one, I think, at times. Buckley and I, when we got away some six months later, nearly always adopted the more cautious of two plans. The occasions on which the more cautious advice was abandoned in favor of the more reckless, though few, three times nearly led to disaster. On this first expedition of mine, I had no rules and regulations for escaping prisoners, such as one learned at Fort Nine, and no experience of escaping. I had to carry on by the light of nature. However, instead of making further excuses for what I did, I had better go on with the story. After crossing a ride I climbed a steep bank and came out onto a sort of plateau about one hundred yards across. The undergrowth was thick but there were only a few trees about though there was a wood on the far side again. I was crawling through this undergrowth when I suddenly stopped short and held my breath. There, fifteen yards from me, was a low wooden hut, and I caught sight of a German soldier through the open door. I stymied myself from the hut by a bush and looked over my shoulder for the best line of retreat. Just as I was about to crawl off, a German sentry walked by me from the right, walking towards the hut. He was only about ten yards off and was unarmed, and was buckling up his belt as he passed. I was not very well under cover from that direction, as my legs were sticking out of the bush, but I thought he would not see me if I lay quite still. When he was five yards from me he stopped to adjust his belt and turned towards me, 
and as he looked up he saw my legs. He was a big, heavy-built fellow, and as he walked quickly up to me he said, "'Who are you? What are you doing here?' I crawled out of the bush and stood up. "'I am a papermaker from Darmstadt out on a holiday,' I said. "'Have you got any papers?' "'Yes,' I lied. "'Well, you must come and show them.' I took no notice of this hint but said, "'Could you kindly tell me if this is the Dutch frontier just here?' "'That has nothing to do with you,' he answered. "'You just come along with me.' I took no notice, and repeated the question. "'Mit mir kommen, so fort,' he roared out, and gripped me by the shoulder. He took me across the plateau and towards the wood on the opposite side, and as we were stepping out of a sort of hit I suddenly bolted from him. I dashed into the wood, and he was after me yelling, "'Posten!' at the top of his voice. We were running steeply downhill through the woods, consequently it was difficult for me to double back into the thick woods behind without being cut off. I turned as much right-handed as I could, but he was only about ten or fifteen yards behind me, and I had not much time to think. About fifty yards ahead at the bottom of the slope there was a road which I could not avoid crossing as I saw it curling around to my right. As I was crashing through the last few yards of wood before the road, the fellow behind still yelling halt like a madman, I suddenly saw a sentry on the road who put up his rifle at ten yards range and called halt, and I halted as abruptly as possible. The fellow behind came up cursing and panting, and I was marched along the road to the left. On the road I saw there was another sentry leading a dog about one hundred yards north of us. As we went along I saw the sentry who had held me up slip a clip of cartridges into his magazine, so that I am not sure that his rifle had been loaded after all. We passed another sentry, they seemed to be stationed about every one hundred and fifty yards or so, and then came to the wooden hut which I had seen earlier in the day. There were about ten men in the hut, it was a guard-room for the frontier posts on that sector, and they treated me quite well. I asked for some tea and tobacco, and sat down in a corner near the window to consider the position. Rather foolishly I told them who I was. A Fliegerhauptmann was a bit of a capture, and they were very pleased about it. They searched me very mildly and took away my map and compass, but nothing else. From where I was sitting I could see out of a window. There I was, twenty yards from the Dutch border. I had only to get across the road, and I should be in thick undergrowth on the far side. It seemed to me most unlikely that there were any further obstacles than this one line of sentries. I believed at the time that I was actually on the very border, but I am not quite so sure of that now. Anyhow, I am nearly sure I should have got clear away if I could have got out of that hut with a few yards' start. I could see the sentry outside the door, and he had his rifle slung over one shoulder by the strap. As I was afraid that he would get rather too good a shot at me if I ran straight, I determined that if I could get out of the hut I would double round it and get back into the thick woods behind and get across the following night. There seemed to be no obstacle of any sort in the way of wire. While I was sitting there several girls came into the hut who presented papers which were checked by the NCO, and laughed and joked with the soldiers in a lingo which I could not follow. I found also that I could not understand the German soldiers when they talked among themselves. I must have sat there for an hour or more, pretending to doze most of the time, 
but keeping a pretty sharp lookout for a chance of getting out of the door. Some people had come in, and I noticed exactly how the latch worked. There was an oldish fellow who annoyed me a good deal by standing with his back to the door the whole time. I thought it was accident at first, but I soon saw that he had his suspicions of me and would not be enticed from the door for anything. The only thing to be done was to pretend to fall fast asleep. This had the desired effect, and when half an hour later he left the door to glance at a paper which a soldier had brought in, I made a dash for it. There was a fellow sitting by the side of the door who must have seen me turn, and, so to speak, gather myself together to make the dash, for as I went out he made a desperate grab at me and by ill fortune caught the belt at the back of my coat. It tore in his hand as I struggled, but it stopped me just long enough to give the sentry outside the time to fall on my neck, and then they all fell on me and everyone tried to hit me at once. For some minutes there was a horrid scene. Ten furious men hit, kicked, punched, and cursed me all at once. I did my best to ward off the blows with my hands, and luckily there were so many of them that they all got in each other's way and I was scarcely hurt at all till one of them cut my head open with a bayonet. After a bit they calmed down, and I was led back into the hut with much kicking and cursing. For a long time they continued to curse me, and I think I must have gone temporarily mad, for I started to argue with them and made matters worse. About an hour later preparations were made to remove me to Bruggen. They undid my braces, they undid all the buttons of my trousers, which I had to hold up with one hand whilst I carried all my belongings in the other. The walking was very rough, mostly through thick heather, and I was escorted by five men and an NCO. The five men carried their rifles in a most explosive state of readiness, and the NCO kept a revolver handy. Once when I fell I was very near being shot on the spot. Of course there were thick woods on either hand most of the way, and once in them they would never have caught me again. However, they never gave me a chance. I was feeling extremely fit and well, and managed the hot walk over heavy ground much more easily than most of my guards, who were fat old chaps. Although I was bitterly disappointed, I did not feel it so much at the time as afterwards, and really enjoyed the whole experience more than now seems to me possible. I was an object of curiosity in the village of Bruggen, and was eventually brought into an office on the second story of a house where several soldier clerks were working and given a chair in a corner where I went to sleep. I was awakened by the entrance of a fat, unhealthy-looking German lieutenant to whom I took the most intense dislike at sight. He brought me into the next room, placed a loaded revolver on the table beside him, and ordered me to strip nude. I suppose I must have laughed at him as he got very angry and told me it was no laughing matter. After my clothes had been searched he allowed me to dress, and then with intense deliberation began to write an account of me. I told him my camp, name, rank, etc., but when one of the guards, the brute who had first caught me, said that I had hit about me with my fist, I protested and said that, on the contrary, I had been brutally manhandled and my head had been cut open. My coat collar and head were all covered with blood, but the cut, though deep, was clean and gave little pain. He called a medical orderly who dressed my head quite efficiently. After waiting for an hour or two more in the clerk's office I was solemnly warned by a nasty little NCO 
that I would be shot immediately if I made a further attempt to escape, and was marched off with a couple of guards. One happened to be the fellow who had originally caught me, and the other was the old fellow who had made such a point of guarding the door in the hut. They were both, rather naturally, very suspicious of me, and never gave me half a chance. After a march of three miles or so, we came to a big factory which was used as barracks, and I was put into the guard-room. When feeding time came round, I was given a very good plate of excellent vegetable soup, of which they gave me a second helping when I asked for it, and as much hot water, colored to look like coffee, as I could drink. On the whole, considering they were a rough lot of soldiers, I was treated very decently indeed. One young fellow, in fact, went out of his way to be nice to me and to make me comfortable. He passed me a packet of tobacco when no one was looking, and later in the evening there was quite an amusing discussion on the war, aeroplanes, etc. I think it rather astonished them that an English officer, a Hauptmann, was prepared to talk and be more or less friendly with them. I think they also rather appreciated the fact that I seemed to bear no grudge against them for hitting me over the head with a bayonet. One of them, in fact, almost apologized for it by saying that they had been so enraged because they would have been heavily punished if I had escaped. They gave me some blankets and I had an excellent night on a bench. One or two of them were thoughtful enough to warn me not to attempt to escape the next morning. Precautions had been taken, they said and I would not have a chance. End of chapter 5 Recording by Tom Weiss TomsAudiobooks.com